Glad to have y'all here today, and I want to speak on a subject that I um, kind of spoke on last week. But last week was repentance in the Old Testament, so I felt I need to have one on the New Testament. And so if you'll look there in your Bible to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation and chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. The Bible is not always written concerning this word repent to just the lost people. Most time you hear preachers telling people they got to repent. And by that definition that they get out of a, a modern dictionary is to feel sorry for your sins, turn from your sins, penitence, and all those things. And that's why so many people get mixed up on the gospel. This is why a person, if you believe that you have to be sorry for your sins so that you'll quit them, is why a lot of times preachers tell a tear-jerking story at the end and want you to, you know, to tear up so that they consider that's you're under conviction, so that you'll be willing to quit your sins, so that when they stand and sing 15 verses of Just As I Am, you'll respond and try to get things right with God. Now, the motive may be great and pure, and the preacher may be doing the dead level best he can, but when you're in error on something and give people the impression that you've got to do something that the Bible does not require, then I take an issue with that. I do believe that everybody has to repent in order to be saved. But I need to explain my terms. What does it mean? And we was always taught in college, define your terms. And not everybody means the same thing by what they say. But I do believe that this is important. You'll notice there in verse 19 of chapter 3 in the book of Revelation, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So the word repent is used, and it's used in many places. But here, it's talking to the believers. It's not talking to lost people. So repent can refer to believers, and it can refer to unbelievers. And you have to use the context to see whether or not what is it that they are to repent of. And that can be different for different people based upon the context. You may say, I'm going to marry this girl. And then you repented. You changed your mind. and didn't show up. So you can repent. You can change your mind about a lot of things. Like I said last week, you could have decided to stay home this morning, but you changed your mind and you came anyway. Well, maybe he'll have a good sermon today. And so you came with the hope and anticipation that it's going to be worth your while. And then after you've heard it, you might change your mind again. That's called repentance. Now, I want you to see that he is talking to the believers about something they need to repent of, change their mind about, to think differently, to reconsider. And he says here to the church at Laodicea, look at verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In other words, you don't see yourself the way God sees you. You might think you're doing a good job and everything is fine. 
But the way God sees you, he knows what you could be doing and should be doing because God knows the potential of every individual. He knows what you could have known had you applied yourself. He knows how far short you are coming, but you may not see it because you're just comparing yourself with others. And I'm just as good as, I'm not as bad as, but you always compare yourself with what is the will of God. And how are you doing according to that? So in verse 18, when he talks about spewing you out of his mouth because he, God said, you make me sick. In other words, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. He said, I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with thy salve that thou mayest see. So he's talking to the Christians, not talking to lost people. This is what believers ought to do. But believers are not doing what they should do. So this is a rebuke to those who are not walking with the Lord as they should. So he says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Change your mind. And that's why he says there in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And most people think, well, he's on the outside and he's knocking at your heart's door and you've got to open your heart and let Jesus into your heart. And many people use this verse. This is not talking to lost people on how to be saved. This is talking about saved people who are not walking with the Lord as they should. And the Lord wants to have fellowship with you. Now get this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open the door. I will come in, sup with him and he with me. And this is what God wants you to do. This is not how to have eternal life. This is to those who already have eternal life. You're already going to heaven. See, going to heaven is a gift. It's totally free. You do not earn it. You can't buy it in any way. And do you have to come to church to go to heaven? No, you don't. Do you have to give money to go to heaven? No, you don't. You say, well, you ought to. No, you don't. Because salvation is free. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So this is showing you that you can repent, and it refers to the believers and not having to do with getting saved again. But there's things in their life that is not right, and they need to change their mind, think differently, reconsider, and correct the problem. Now look there in Revelation in chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And look there in verse 3. Start in verse 3. He said, I know about you. I know what you're doing. And he says, and hath borne and hath patience, and for my name's sake hath labored and hath not fainted. This is talking to believers in the church here at uh, Ephesus. He says, I know what you're doing. Does God look down and know what's going on in Calvary Community Church? He knows every individual in this church. The Bible says he does. And then he makes this statement. He says in verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against. In other words, you're doing, you're, you're working. You're doing a good job. You're showing up. You're being faithful. He says, but there's something missing in your life. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. In other words, God is saying, you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you don't love me like you used to. Isn't it true that a man can marry a girl and, and they're supposed to live happily ever after? Now, he's still doing all the right things. He goes to work. He comes home. He gives her the money. <laughs> and he, he cuts the grass and he does all the things he's supposed to do. But she can tell whether or not, do you love me like you used to? 
And he may know, uh, you know, you're doing all the right things and going through the motions, but do you love me like you used to? Is it possible that two people can live together and not love each other like they used to? So he says, but you've left your first love. You see, that first love, we love him because he first loved us. Whenever you begin to grow in your love for the Lord, and you want to please the Lord, and you want to sacrifice for the Lord, and you dedicate your life to serving the Lord, and as time goes on, you lose the love, but you're still going through the motions. You're still coming to church, and every once in a while you'll read your Bible, and every once in a while you'll pray, but you don't love the Lord like you do. That God wants you to love him. If you love him, then yeah, do all those other things. But you can do all those other things and not really love him. And that's why he made the statement. He says in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, you've fallen out of loving the Lord. And repent and do the first works. Get back to loving God like you ought to. So it's a word, repent, and he's not talking about how to be saved. He's talking to the believers. Now turn very quickly over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, that means the man's supposed to make the coffee. Hebrews in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And you'll notice in verse 5, talking to those who know the Lord, talking to his children. And he says in verse 5, and ye have forgotten the exhortation. You forgot. Is it possible for God's children to forget things? You know what you're supposed to do, but you forgot. I'm finding out the longer I live, the more I'm forgetting. He says in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. That means you're God's children. My son... Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Because the Lord is going to chasten. Faint not when thou art rebuked. When God tells you, no, you don't get your own way. And you don't get to fulfill your own dreams, your own plans. And it seems like life can become a failure to you. But don't you remember the Lord will chasten those whom he loves, and he loves his children. So once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are to serve the Lord and do whatever he wants. You're not to have God as a, you know, a power in your back pocket to use whenever you want. He's not your credit card. He's not just uh, somebody that's an escrow account, and whenever you come up lacking, you can just use it to do whatever you want to do. The Lord wants to use you to do what He wants. So it's His purpose and His plan for your life, not yours. Now notice what He says in verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. Remember, we just read that in the book of Revelation in chapter 3. As many as I love, I chasten and rebuke. He's talking to His children. And He makes this statement. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. If you endure chasing, God dealeth with you as with sons. God doesn't cast you out. He doesn't lose you. He doesn't declare that you're no longer his child. The reason he chastens you is because when you did something wrong, you're still his child. When you commit sin, you're still his child. He said, I'll never cast you out and never lose you. But he's going to deal with you as a father and a son. And he loves you. And he wants his children to learn to talk to him. Now, I want you to look down here. At Acts chapter 20, verse 21, right there in your notes. 
testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, some people think that God's just a big old mean God, and he's got this uh, salvation that's all about works, and you've got to earn your way to heaven, and if you work hard enough, you'll make it. God says, change your mind. Think differently. Don't see God that way. See God as someone who knows you and loves you, and in spite of everything that you've done, he wants to give you eternal life. Change your mind about saving yourself by your works and put your trust in what Christ did. So you change your mind. Reconsider. Think differently. Repentance toward God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he saves you and gives you eternal life. Now, the next paragraph there the Webster Scholastic Dictionary gives a meaning for repent. To feel regret for something done or left undone. To be penitent. To remember with self-reproach or sorrow. It gives the definition for repentance. Act of repenting. Sorry for sin. Penitence. Contrition. So some preachers say that men must turn from their sin. Be willing to turn from sin. Or be, be willing to be made willing to turn from their sin. And so they cannot be saved. If the salvation depends upon them changing their life. Because God will not save anybody who's trying to save themselves. If you believe that any form of behavior, your performance in life, has a part in your salvation, God cannot and will not save you. You're only saved if you accept Him as your Savior and Him alone. He is not somebody you help save you. In other words, he died on the cross so that if I will live right, I can make it to heaven. No, he doesn't need your help. And many people believe that Jesus is necessary. They just don't believe he's enough. So they're going to have to help him out a little bit. Now, if a man must do any of these things to be saved, then he merits his salvation by his good works. The biblical definition of repentance, metaneo, metanoia, we're talking about a word that means to think differently. So as you look at some of the verses in the Bible, in especially the New Testament, you'll see the word like think, suppose. It has to do with your mind. And so when you think about the mind of man and he's thinking certain things, then God says you repent. You change your mind and believe something different. And sometimes the changing of your mind can lead to a change of action. When it comes to salvation, you are to repent. Change your mind about saving yourself by your works and put your faith in Jesus Christ. So me changing my mind about saving myself and I can put my faith in Christ. So trusting the Lord, that's in context, what do I do as a result of a change of mind? then I believe and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. When a person, and we'll show you this in just a moment in the book of Matthew, but it is so important for a person to understand what the meaning of this is. Now look there at the statement. The word repent is used in connection with unbelievers for salvation and believers for service. So the word can be used for both. Like last week we talked about how that God repented. But did God turn from sin? So it doesn't always mean turn from sin in order to be saved. Now there's things that God has put into his word that every believer should turn from iniquity. A Christian should turn from sin. 
But that's because they have power steering, the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And there's things that Bible says about a Christian committing himself to the Lord, but not to be saved. In Romans in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. See, you don't present your body as a living sacrifice till after you're saved. That you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and which is a reasonable service. So you don't commit your life to Christ in order to be saved. You commit your life to Christ when you want to serve the Lord. But salvation depends upon you trusting Christ in Him alone as your Savior. So context is very, very important. Now, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Do not be afraid of the word repent. Just understand what it means. But the problem is, is many people use the word and do not tell people what does it mean. They're left with the idea that they've heard over the years, it means to turn from your sins. And they illustrate it this way. If I'm walking this way, then I got to turn and walk this way. I'm going to turn from my sins. Now I got to follow the Lord. And if you don't turn, you're going to burn. Now, it sounds spiritual, but the only problem is they're asking a lost man to do the impossible. Because the sinful nature lives where? Inside of me. Now, how do I turn from me? Remember the illustration I gave? Doggy, you stop acting like a doggy and I'll make you a chicken. Can a doggy stop acting like a doggy? Can you stop your sins? No. You may pick a few apples off the tree, but it's still an apple tree. Anyway, Matthew chapter 21. Look in verse 28. What think ye? See those words? Thank you. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Because evidently, we're going to talk about the word repent. They're thinking something. He says, but what think ye? He wanted them to think. A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and he says, I will not. There's your typical teenager. I will not. But afterwards he repented. What do you think it means? Changed his mind. He changed his mind. And what was the result of him changing his mind? He went. In verse 30, he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and says, I go, sir. And he went not. He didn't do it. And so he says, which of the two did the will of his father? They said unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye, and hear those words, believed him not. You did not believe. Now, in the book of uh, Acts in chapter 19, when Paul was talking to some disciples that were there at uh, Ephesus, uh, he asked them, uh, says, on the what? Were you baptized? They said, we don't know what you're talking about. He says, on the John's baptism, he says, look. He says, John truly baptized with water, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, that is, on Christ, which was to come. So, John the Baptist did not preach works for salvation. 
John the Baptist did not tell everybody, you've got to turn from your sins in order to be saved. He did not teach that. He told them to trust Christ as their Savior. And so here, what he's talking about, he says, the publicans and the harlots. This is about as low as you can get. The tax collector and the harlots. That's why most of us here today still don't like tax collectors. Somebody always calls on the phone and says, this Pastor Arnold. I says, is this the IRS? <laughs> you say, why do you do that? It depends on whether I talk to them or not. Anyway, he says, for if the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to the religious leaders. You know those people that are supposed to keep the law, the goody, goody two shoes? These are the people that were the leaders, the religious head. They're in Jerusalem. And he's telling them this. There's harlots and they're going to get to go into the kingdom before you. Why? Look how bad they are. What a terrible illustration to use. But is he telling the truth? Because they trust in their works. And he's trying to get them to say, look, change your mind. Think differently. You're not better than they are. Look what he says in verse 32 now. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye uh, believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots, what did they do? They believed. So you see, believing and not believing is the key. That's why he says in the book of John in chapter 3, He that believeth on me is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Only two kinds of people in this world. Those that believe and those that don't believe. Look what else he says here. In verse 32, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. And when ye had seen it, look at the next word, repented not afterwards that you might believe. You see, you have to change your mind and believe. When you study the gospel of John, you do not find the word repent used. But all the way through the gospel of John, you'll find that by faith you're saved. About 98 times, believe, believe, believe. By faith and faith alone. That's all you have to do. Well, that's too easy. So you can't believe in this Cheap grace is easy believism. So what right does any preacher have to make it hard for people to go to heaven? When the Lord did all the work and made it easy for us, and all we had to do is accept what he did for us. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But get what he says. And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards, and you ought to underline this in your Bible then, that ye might believe him. You see, you change your mind and put your faith in what Christ did for you. Here you'd have to turn from all of your sins before you can believe. Do you have to change and turn from all of your sins in order to believe? Or can you believe? You see, they got it backwards because, see, when we trust Christ as Savior, we believe the message. And then later on, we may change some things in our life. That's because you've, you're going to learn to love the Lord. See, the more you love the Lord, the more you want to clean up your life. When you don't love the Lord then you don't care about cleaning up your You don't care about your testimony. You don't care what people think. But when you love the Lord, everything matters. But anyway, page two. On the back, Acts chapter 20. Turn your Bible to the book of Acts and chapter 20. So in Acts chapter 20, there's an interesting verse here in verse 21. 
where he says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a change of mind where God wants us to put our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. If you had to turn from your sins in order to be saved, think about it. How many of your sins would you have to change from? If you do have to turn from your sins, get a hundred preachers, and you can get Baptist preachers. Put them in a room and give them a piece of paper and say, now give me the list. And all of you ought to agree. Because if you've got to turn from your sins, you ought to give me a list of which ones. Are they all equal? Or just the major sins and the little sins doesn't matter. You know, if it's a black lie, but it's different than a white lie. Some people are colorblind. <laughs> then the part two is, how long do I have to stop doing these sins? You see, that's a can of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. That's what the devil does. The devil always adds to the gospel and then if you've trusted Christ as Savior, he'll mess up your understanding of the Christian life. Well, it's just so hard to serve the Lord. So hard. Well, I'm 75 years old, and I don't think it's hard serving the Lord. The Bible says it's hard for the wicked, and they have hardened their necks. He says, if you do not serve the Lord with joyfulness of heart, he said, I will put a yoke of iron upon your neck until it destroys you. Jesus is coming to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is, it's so hard. That ain't what the Bible says. Somebody lying to you. You go contrary to God and you resist the Lord and see if it ain't worse than serving God. You rebel against the Lord and see if, if you don't lose your love and your joy and your peace and your happiness and your purpose in life. But anyway... He's talking to believers here and what he did because he's also letting them know I went from house to house. I did it publicly. Preaching the gospel so that people could trust Christ as their Savior. And this is why this is so important. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke. Turn to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Luke these are the verses that I first heard from evangelists, visiting guest speakers who would come and, buddy, they knew how to tear it up. And they would teach, turn or burn. Luke chapter 13, because it's mentioned twice here, except the man repent, he shall all likewise perish. It's mentioned there in chapter 13. Look what he says in verse 3. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 5, I tell you, nay, but, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. He said it twice. And so therefore, unless you repent. Now, should a man repent? Yes, he's got to repent. But now, what do you want a person to repent of? Well, in the context, you ought to find out what it's talking about. So he makes a statement. Look in verse 1. Therefore, or there were present at the season, some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said unto them, and here's two words you ought to underline. Suppose ye, you think what you suppose 
is a way that you're thinking. Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans. You know, the reason that happened is because they were worse than everybody else. You know, when that, that tornado came through or that hurricane came through or the floods came through and the fires in California, all that, that's because those people were worse than the other people. If you think that away, it's not true. That power, it fell on all those people and it killed them because they deserved it. They were worse sinners than everybody else. Well, this is their line of thinking. This is what they were doing. So he says here in verse 2, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans? And get this, you ought to underline it. Because they suffered such things. In other words, here's a, a family in the church, two families in the church. One family gets in a car wreck and they're all killed. And then look at all the other families. See, they must have done something wrong. It was all their fault. But you see, that doesn't mean just because one person has a problem and maybe can die or somebody in church, if they get cancer, that's a sign that you're not right with the Lord. There's preachers who preach that health and wealth philosophy. That if you're right with God, you're not going to get sick and you're not going to have cancer and you're not going to, well, wait a minute. If that's the case, none of God's children will ever get to heaven if they live right. Because why should they die? We're all going to die. And it won't have anything to do with whether or not, well, were you healthy or not? It's amazing that all the people who eat the fruit nuts and all that stuff, some of them don't live any longer than the people who would eat all the grease. Now get what he says. That's why he says in verse 3, you think that they are worse than somebody. He says, think differently, reconsider. There was no action for them to take. But the thing is, Jesus was there. And they should believe on him. And because they did not accept him as the Messiah, Jerusalem did fall. And it was worse on them. Get what he says in verse 18. Are those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell? Slew them? Well, man, who's telling this story? Jesus is. Jesus knew about those 18 that died, and it was not because they were worse than somebody else. He says, and slew them. See that word, think ye, think ye? Because he's going to tell them to repent. Change your mind. Think differently. Reconsider. What you're believing is not the truth. Remember, there is a devil, and he lies all the time. He deceives you. Now, look at this. Every one of you in this room will Serve the Lord unless you're fooled by the devil, unless he lies to you. So if you're not serving God the way you should, who are you following? Is it the Lord that doesn't want you to serve him or is it the devil that don't want you to serve him? The devil can only use your sinful nature and you have one. It means you were born with an old sinful nature and you still have an old sinful nature. Even after you trust Christ as Savior, that old sinful nature lives inside of you and you still want to go your own way. That sinful nature is rebellious to the Lord. And you've got to fight that rebellion all your life. I don't worry about fighting the rebellion so much. All I want to do is if I serve the Lord, I've taken care of the rebellion part. If I want to do this more than I want to do the other. You see, you're going to live according to the strongest desires that you have. If you desire serving the Lord more than serving the world, then you'll do it. You'll do whatever you want. You are now 
Right now, you are now living exactly the way you want to live. If you're miserable in your life, good. It's your choice. You don't have to be miserable. You say, but you don't know what I'm going through. That has nothing to do with it. This world and anything that happens has nothing to do with your peace of mind and your confidence and your trust in the Lord and why you cannot rejoice in the Lord every day regardless of what it might be. You see, you're the one that determines whether you're happy or whether you're sad based on how you think. So he tells them there in verse 5, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You better think differently. Because in verse 6 down to verse 9, he explains the story and the reason why. Because trouble's coming, and trouble did come. You see, salvation, going to heaven, is persuading someone to trust the Lord. We're trying to get people to change their mind. If I walked up to you after the service and I say, do you know where you're going when you die? And you say, no, not really. Then I'm going to try to persuade you to trust the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you that I want you to know God loves you. And he loved you so much that he wants you to go to heaven to be with him. That God loves you and he doesn't want you to go to hell. But God loves you and he made a payment for all of your sins. He loved you so much that he made it a gift. He totally free. He came back from the dead and the only thing he wants you to do is to believe he did it for you. Would you change your mind and repent? Change your mind and would you trust Christ as your Savior? Now I may never use the word repent. But if you are an unbeliever and I persuade you because this makes sense to trust Christ as your Savior because there's no tricks to it. There's no gimmick to it. You don't have to come to this church. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to raise your hand, sign a card. You don't have to do anything. Just believe it. And if you'll believe it, God said he would give you as a free gift everlasting life. And you go to heaven on what Christ did for you. So I want to get everybody to repent. I want you to go from a state of unbelief to belief. If I get you to believe and you are an unbeliever, then what must you have done? Repented. You've changed your mind. And so God demands every man everywhere to repent. And some people will. Some people will not. You may leave today and you might go your merry way. And yet whenever life is over, you're going to die. It's just a matter of when. But the key thing is where are you going when you die? Many of you know some people that have never trusted the Lord. Yet you may never try to get them to come. You just take it for granted. A lot of God's children have no concern, no burden for people they know that if they don't trust Christ as Savior, they're going to go to hell. Even a lost man had concern for those that were lost. He didn't want them to come to that place. And this is why you and I are supposed to try to persuade people to trust Christ. Why do you think every service, I try to always give that little wallet illustration where I try to make it clear, because I don't want somebody here or there to ever hear me preach and then leave and not know how to get to heaven. Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? I'd venture to say that 97% of all preachers do not make the gospel clear. And those who do know how to make it clear won't do it faithfully. And there is a difference. Hebrews chapter 6. Believers are told not to repent on something. I want you to see that. Hebrews and chapter 6. There were those who had trusted Christ as Savior. They were still children in the Lord. They're supposed to grow and become mature. 
and they haven't done so. And so the Bible says you don't have to repent concerning salvation. You don't have to get saved again. So he says there in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. You don't have to do that again. So salvation is whenever you change your mind that dead works cannot give you eternal life. Life cannot come from that which is dead. Life must come from life and exist on previous life. And so whenever you trusted Christ as your Savior, you did not trust your works. You put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you. Now for the rest of your life, you never have to do that again. Therefore, he says, leave this alone. When it comes to growing in the Lord, you start looking to what God says about growing in the Lord. Studying the Word of God and growing and maturing. And God says He knows that you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be further along than what you are. And some people are not. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 is a tremendous verse. 2 Peter chapter 3, this is on page 1319 in a church Bible. And look there in verse 9. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Now you ought to underline this part of the verse. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason that all of you in this room, let's just pretend for a moment that all of you in here are lost as a hound dog on the end of a soup bone. You have never trusted Christ as your Savior. We're pretending. All of you are lost. If all of you are lost, how many of you does God want to save? Every last one of you. And the only reason that you're still here and you're not dead yet is because of the long-suffering of God. Because of the mercy of God. Because God's not willing that any of you should perish. But if you keep hardening your heart, God may harden that heart in reality. And there's only one step between you and eternity. And you could trust Christ as Savior. Right now, see, all of you have heard how to go to heaven. You can't save yourself. The church can't save you. Your money can't save you. How you live has nothing to do with it. The only thing he wanted you to do is, do you believe that when he died on that cross, he paid for your sins? And you're going to accept that. And when you accept that, you have a payment for your sins. The reason I can't go to hell is because I don't have any sins to pay for. He paid for all of my sins. That's how I know I'm going to heaven. How I live has nothing to do with it. I'm no better than anybody else. All I did is accept Christ as my Savior. And whatever I did, it's the only way any man can be saved. There is no two ways. You say, well, that's just your way. No, it isn't. It's either God's way or you don't go. It is the gift of God. It's not of works. Look at this verse. In verse 9, But is long-suffering toward us, not willing... That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You are still alive at this moment. God knows what you've heard. You can accept it or reject it. 
If you accept it, God gives you what kind of life? Eternal life. When does he give it to you? Right now, when you believe it. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. If you believe it, you got it. And if you have everlasting life, how long would it last? Forever. If it lasts forever and all my sins are paid, where would you go when you die? So can I know that I'm going to heaven before I die? Of course. That's what it's all about. I know I have eternal life. That's the best news I ever heard. That's why the Bible calls it the gospel. It's good news. So I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and I hope that you will too. Down at the bottom, the last line. Those who preach that a man must turn from sin or feel sorry for sin in order to be saved are preaching an accursed message. Now, you may want to turn from sin. There's nothing wrong with that. And you may feel sorry for all the bad things you've done. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can stop certain sins in your life. And you can be sorry for all the things you've done wrong. But it still won't save you. It won't get you to heaven. One thing's missing. What? Trusting Christ. Aren't there people who have been drunkards and they've stopped drinking? Hadn't there been people who have been running around with women and they changed their mind and they stopped? Isn't there people who smoke and they stopped smoking? Does that save them? No. no. So why tell a lost man to do it? It doesn't save anybody. This hand represents you and me. The water represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves you. In spite of all the sins that you've done, we have all sinned and come short of God's perfection. See, God is perfect. We're not. We come short of perfection. We compare ourselves with better. Well, I'm not as bad as he is. Well, I'm a lot better than him. Yeah, but how are you doing between you and God? God's perfect. Are you? No. Then you're lost. And this lost man, he don't know how to get to heaven. He's lost. He don't know how to get there. So he can devise all the means he wants to, but there's only one way. See, man is always trying to lift himself up to God by his righteousness. And God won't accept your righteousness. See, he sent his righteousness down, Jesus Christ. He's the righteousness of God. He came into this world. He never did anything wrong. He was perfect. And so the Bible says that he loves us. So he took our sins and paid for them on the cross. Came back from the dead. So all of my sins are paid. So God can now offer me eternal life. He can forgive me of everything I've ever done. He can give me this gift of everlasting life. So when I accept Christ, I receive eternal life. I get the righteousness of God. I get to go to heaven on his righteousness, not mine. I don't deserve it. That is the gift of God. And if I was to offer you my Bible and you accept you'd have a Bible, and if I offered you my wallet and you accept you'd have a wallet, and if Christ walked in here and offered you eternal life and you accept you'd have eternal life. And if it's eternal life, it would last forever and ever. That's how you can know you're going to heaven. But let me close with this. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, an unexamined life is not worth living. You examine yourself by the Word of God. You're always looking and comparing, what does God want? How am I doing? If there's things in your life that are not right, you need to repent. If you don't love the Lord like you used to, you need to repent. If you're living a sinful life, you need to repent. You need to change your mind and straighten up and fly right and do the thing that God wants you to do. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Live a godly, holy, pure life the way you should.
It's the book. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I hope that I've made it simple, clear. I'm not going to have you forward, not going to embarrass you. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, I do ask for a raise of hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. I can't save you. I have no powers. I just want to know if what I said made sense to you. If you've never trusted the Lord, would you trust him right now? Say, preacher, that made sense to me, and I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I've never done it before, but I will accept Christ right now as my Savior. And friend, if you trust him right now as your Savior, God said he will save you right now and give you eternal life. When you get up to leave, you can say, I know I'm going to heaven. Because today I accepted Christ as my only hope of going to heaven. I believe he died for me, paid for my sins. That means I don't have any sins to pay for. That made sense to me. There's no tricks to it, no gimmicks. So friend, if that did make sense to you, and this morning you say, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior, would you just slip your hand up very quickly, put it right back down, real quick, put it right back down, and by that means, yes, I'll trust the Lord. Yes, God bless you. I appreciate that. That's a sign of good judgment. No tricks to it. God bless you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick. If you've never done it, don't hope you're going to heaven. Don't think you're going to heaven. Know that you're going to heaven. And there's only one way to know it. And that is make sure you're not dependent upon anything that you have done or will do. Only by trusting Christ. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? If you're watching by internet, right on the screen, says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I'd appreciate it. You let us know. Father, we thank you again for your blessings. For the one who indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust your Savior. And Father, by the teaching of your word, we pray that we have been able to be used to persuade someone to repent, to change their mind, to see that you do know them and you love them and that you paid for their sins. And by faith alone, they're accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. We ask your blessings upon each person here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.